Oh, hello, everybody. I didn't see you come in. Welcome back to Critically Reclaimed. This is a podcast where we watch movies. Hey, My name hey, is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. Hey, William, aren't you going to offer our guests some brandy and some cookies? Oh, sorry. Here you go. <laughs> Here's mm. a snifter of brandy. Mm. Here's some Girl Scout cookies because they are in season now. Ooh, are you going to have the thin mints? Oh, God, no. Those okay. waxy little monstrosities? No, thank you. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize you were Samoas are where it's at. I, okay. We got Samoas. We got okay. the lemon cookies. There's always some lemon variety. Yeah, lemons are usually pretty good. We got the s'more sandwich cookies. Uh, um, how many more did you get? Uh, and we got uh, a new kind of cookie. It's like a brownie with like a little uh, caramel patty. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, those are okay. pretty good. Anyway, I'm Bibbs. This is Whitney, and this uh, is wait, critically I'm, reclaimed. I, I'm Whitney. Uh, the, the premise of this podcast is uh, you get to choose as listeners... One of four films from a selected streaming service uh, that different either, one every week, a different one every week uh, I, that either one or both of us hasn't seen, mm-hmm. and then we watch it. You can watch along with us if you like, and we talk about it That's because right. there are many, many options out there, and we want to explore what's available. We want to explore what's on streaming services that isn't new. Everyone's always talking about the the new series that is debuting, the new movie, the new original film, but we want to get into the nitty gritty. We want to get into the libraries. That are available on streaming services. Uh, and this week we had a request uh, the, for a streaming service we'd actually never done before. And that was YouTube. Most people yeah. think of YouTube as, uh, you know, it's a... Your it's a, tube. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a place where people post their own videos of things. And there are many great YouTubers that I watch regularly. Uh, however, they also do have movies. And they actually have quite a few free movies. You watch them with some commercial breaks. few too many for my liking. But regardless, mm-hmm. the, the movie was free. I got what I paid for. Um, and so we decided to highlight some films that are available on YouTube for free, and the win- and boy, was this a close race. We had, by sheer coincidence, we had two films directed by Richard Attenborough. That, just, that wasn't something we no. orchestrated, we he, just chose films. Whitney and, yeah. picked one and I picked the other, and they just, we just happened to, to, that just happened to work out that way. Uh, and the winner is a film that is... An adaptation of a Pulitzer Prize winning musical. A musical is one of the most popular musicals ever made. One of the best known, most recognizable. The movie, less popular, somewhat controversial for fans of the play. Uh, but a lot of people I know grew up with this play, like this, uh, like this musical, like this movie. Uh, and let's talk about a chorus line. You're either in or you're out. Boy with a headband, Deanna. Yellow sweats and the pink stage left. Next move. What is it that separates you from the rest? You're all terrific and special. I wish I could hire you all, but I can't. Honey, can we please go? We're gonna be fine. One. The movie, a chorus line, rated PG. Uh, the movie A Chorus Line came out in 1985, and mm. the musical had already kind of cemented itself in the popular consciousness mm. um, in in my circles yeah. growing up because I was a kid when the movie uh, the musical came out. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a monster success. Yeah, it won the, like every, nine Tonys. Everybody had the soundtrack yeah. record in yeah. their homes in in my uh, in my particular network, and. Uh, one singular sensation was played to the point where I hated it. One singular sensation may be one of the most recognizable Broadway ditties, certainly uh-huh. of the second half of the 20th century. And what I didn't know, because I never actually watched the movie, mm-hmm. I think it was considered too sexy for me, because uh-huh. I, was, I was a little well, Had you ever seen the show? No. no, no I, and, I that's, seen, and that's including today? You've still never seen a live show? Still never seen a live show of a chorus line. Okay. And I wasn't allowed to watch the movie because when I was a little kid, because yeah. Randy, yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of Randy talk in it. Uh, there, there's no actual sex on stage no. or on camera, but there's talk of it. And boy, did they cut it down from the actual play. I've seen, yeah, I, I've seen productions of a chorus uh, line. They cut it down. Yeah, so I, I can't speak to the differences between the stage production and the uh, mm. the film. Uh, I can say that it's. I, I didn't know the context for one singular sensation ah. that that was the the actual number that they put on. Yeah, and they're singing about a character that we never see. Yeah, it's actually from a musical that we never, never see, and and yeah. we don't even know what musical it is. Uh, if you're it's like this imaginary show stopping number that the yeah. chorus line sings before the star comes out and sings a number. Yeah. So the idea of a chorus line, if anyone is unfamiliar with this, 
Uh, Chorus Line is a musical uh, about people auditioning for a musical, specifically mm. auditioning to be in the chorus line. This is not auditioning to be the big lead stars. This is auditioning to be the background dancers. And mm. they might have a few other bits of business to do throughout the production, but mostly they're background dancers. That in and of itself is exceptionally difficult. Like, to do that job mm. at the Broadway level is takes a lot of talent, takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of discipline. And and, and, a, and you have to withstand an awful lot of cruelty. There's a lot there's, of cruelty. There's, there's some, a lot of yeah. uh, just these Broadway producers, at least as they're depicted in a chorus line, mm-hmm. uh, have such exacting standards that they will just kick you off and be cruel right to your face because they need to move on. Yeah. This is a very fast process for them. So it's it, like, you, no, you can't do it. You're not a good enough dancer. Go, get off the stage. You don't look right. They'll even yeah. like insult your looks right to your there, face. There is a lot of soul and humanity that goes into telling a story in any medium, including uh, Broadway. But when it comes to producing it, there can be some really callous behavior. It can also be a lot of mind games. And that's what a chorus line is about. Chorus line is about like over a dozen people who have made the shortlist to be cast in this chorus line for this big Broadway production of a play we will never see. And we know nothing about it other than there is one song about how great a particular lady is. It's kind of like Hello, Dolly. Mm. It's just about how great Dolly is, that one song. But of course, if you watch that whole musical, you know who Dolly mm. is. Here, the actual content of the musical is irrelevant. All that matters right now is this is one day, one incredibly grueling uh, uh, audition day. Mm. Where in addition to everyone being tested to their limits uh, musically, in terms of singing, in terms of dancing, uh, the director, who is in the Broadway production, never seen. You just hear a voice. You hear right? a voice yeah. in the back. But here, for the movie, they decided that we still mostly don't see him, but when we do see him, it's played by Michael Douglas. Uh, this director has decided this time uh, that in order to cast this chorus line, who may have to do a little bit of acting here and there, he decides he wants to go full Hannibal Lecter on this shit and like <laughs> fully interrogate them. Not just like, hey, who are you? Why are you in the industry? But like find out about their... like sexual history and their anxieties and phobias and hangups and personal dramas. And on one hand, it's, it's very revealing about the Mm -hmm. kinds of uh, variety of people and experiences that lead people to pursue a career being a background dancer, which is a choice. Um, But it's also very penetrating and very, very invasive. And that's something I've always, when I watched Horace line when I was young, it was actually a very formative experience for me. It was one of the first like Broadway shows I'd ever seen live. Okay, and it was a very good production. It was some LA production when I was a kid. I don't, I couldn't tell you who was in it, but um, I remember thinking to myself, two things really stood out at me. One was that, and we'll talk about this, I think, in some length. Uh, it was one of the one of, if not the very first pieces of media I had ever seen that didn't just depict queerness, but discussed it frankly. Okay, like when I was a kid, not, we didn't have a lot of that. Queer characters, but queer characters talking about their queer in great detail about mm-hmm. their sexual lives and how, what it was like uh, uh, not being understood by their parents. And this is something that, aside from the occasional after-school special, was not. I wasn't getting a lot of that in the eighties. So this was like a big eye opener for me in terms of that. And uh, the other thing was, honestly, to me, the manipulations of the director made it kind of a horror show. There was something un, un, the, uh, un, un, almost unbearably cruel about how this industry could be, and yet it's so glorious. You see why they do it. The uh, it, it doesn't work on film the same way it would on stage. I know oh, it definitely does uh, because the entire idea being well, you know, not to go into like media studies, but. Um, I think this would work better on stage because stage is far more immediate. The actor is in the room with you. It's far. Yeah. It's a far more raw emotional experience. What's the whole premise, Theater. basically? You are there yeah, for the audition. You're present. We're film critics. We're used to dealing with yeah. cinema, and there's a filter. I mean, first of all, there's the screen. There's actors mm. that have been recorded ahead of yeah. time. Yeah. Also, this movie was made in 1985. Many yeah. years were many years removed from this experience. Mm-hmm. Those actors are no longer in the room with us. Some of them yeah. are no longer with us. And even if we had seen uh, this movie in 1985, it had mm. still been recorded many months before. Yeah. It had still been gone through. They've chosen the correct angles, the correct performances, what they thought. So we're not seeing this natural experience. This is all 
cinema usually is about refining and picking the exact moments you want to present for posterity as opposed to the live show which is whatever we get tonight is what we get so when you're seeing this on stage and you're seeing people pour their hearts out we're there with them we're engaging in what is essentially their therapy session when we're seeing this on film it has an orchestrated quality just because of the medium uh, there's a way to make that film natural. You could do it in a single take and yeah. just sort of go back and forth, uh, you know, with like handheld camera work. Mm-hmm. But that's not what Richard Attenborough did. He tried yeah. to make a, a, a slicker cinema experience. There's this interesting thing. Uh, you know, and I've seen a lot of uh, productions of plays where, uh, like on uh, uh, film or on video, where they decided to essentially film the theatrical experience. Yeah, uh, the more recent version of Hamilton mm. did that, the one that came out on Disney. That's how they I saw that, yeah. Into the Woods. I saw like a Woods. film stage uh, version. There's a really fantastic uh, movie version of Zoot Suit uh, with Edward James Olmos. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, That is absolute must hear. It's a great movie. Uh, I, and it's totally I, a film production, but they got right up mm. on stage with it, and it feels feels like a film, but it feels like a very staged film. I, I recommend uh, The Magic Flute. Oh, I've never uh, seen that Ber- one. Bergman's uh, film version of, there you go. of The Magic Flute. Another good example there. I haven't seen that one, but I know of it. Um, Attenborough decides we're going to have elements of that, but we're also going to do things like occasionally, like like at the opening of a chorus line, there's dozens more people than we're actually going to have. It's going to be whittled mm. down after about 10 minutes. Uh, so we have a I, lot I more people need, just running around. Don't they need like, it's like five to eight at the end of the day. They need, they need four men and four women. That's, That's right. what they want. All so right. it's going to be eight. It's really totally small number of people, honestly, for a chorus line. And uh, I think they they have it. The, the short list, I think it's about like 15 or 17, somewhere around there. But at the beginning, they've got dozens and dozens and dozens of people that they're just choosing from. Mm. And we see, just immediately, I'm, I'm here, I'm with you. We're in the middle of it. We got that guy from Critters uh, playing like uh, the choreographer. Critters. He was Ter- in Critters. Terrence Mann. He was in Critters. He was in Critters. I love Terrence Mann. He was also in the uh, TV version of. Um, Oh, what was that wizard show we did on Cancel Too Soon? The wizard show. The sci-fi series where it was like a, a wizard who was a private detective. Oh, um... Uh, ah. n- not, not Cast a Deadly Spell. No, no, no. Um, it was like Cast a Deadly yeah. Spell, but it was... Uh, it was Br- not Brimstone. Brisbane. Blar- <laughs> Blarney. <laughs> Harry. Hole. No, that that's Snowman. Yeah. Who was Dresden Files? Dre- that's right, Dresden Files. Dre- oh, that 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 really memorable. He was show. the ghost butler in the Dresden Files. Yeah, but anyway, um, he's a fun actor. Anyway, uh, he's he's on that new show Foundation. Like, oh, he's still, he? yeah, he's still working. That's cool. Okay. Anyway, uh, that Terrence Mann plays the choreographer, and uh, we're we're right in the thick of it, and it's like right out of the movie, staying alive. We're just right in the middle of everyone just rehearsing, rehearsing trying to get picked for this audition, hearing some people singing about how they really need this job. And then we cut to, it's like the opening credits from Taxi. We just see a cab driving over to the thing. Mm. And honestly, my mind was fucking blown. (laughs) Because you're outside the theater. We're outside the theater. There's nothing outside the theater. The whole point of this is like limbo here. It's like they're all being tested to see if they're going to get into heaven. And that's that's another immediate thing about watching a chorus line in a theater. Yeah. It takes place in a theater. You're watching it in, in real life, essentially. Yeah. Uh, it's like uh, six characters in search of an author. Characters yeah. come in from the back and they infiltrate the stage of actors who are figuring something out. Yeah, uh, it, it requires it requires no imagination mm. to imagine the location yeah. in a chorus line. Whereas usually you have to like imagine. Okay, here we are in a park. Here we are in San Francisco. Here we are, whatever. It's like no, we, I, I I thoroughly believe we're in a theater. <laughs> no, and, uh, no, no, no stretch the, here. The uh, the advantage film has over the stage in this sort of production. A, we get to see outside the theater. I'm not sure if that's an advantage. It's just something you can do. I find it a to distract- sort of show I, off. I don't think it adds anything. Um, but yeah, there's there's a, a sequence later where we actually get some flashbacks, which I think actually uh, enhances things okay. uh, a little bit, just in terms of mm. you know visual dynamism. Uh, yeah. But uh, we can also more intimately peek in on smaller conversations uh, during these opening sequences where the dancers are all getting ready and they're auditioning and they're kind of drifting in and off, uh, like on and off of the stage. The camera gets to sort of pull in a little bit and we get to sort of hear what they're whispering, the kind of things that they're throwing to one another, yeah. things they say under their breath. That's a little bit more realistic mm. than it would be on the stage when they'd have to sort of like walk in front of the audience and say it loud enough for an audience to hear yeah, it. Yeah, we accept that uh, as part of the language of musical theater, I think. Yeah. But you make a good point. So I, I think that's... If, if they had kept on maybe that kind of intimate level, it might have worked. And if they had taken it off the stage mm-hmm. and put it in 
like the director's office or something, like a little bit more of an intimate setting. Yeah. Maybe that would have worked, but then uh, if you do that, you don't get the musical numbers. You don't get the and musical numbers. And the idea numbers, is, yeah, yeah we're, the the final eight. It, it's winnowed down to the final eight people, and we go down the literal line, person by person. They're just all standing in a line. They step forward, and they sing a song about themselves. More or less, it's the cats model, kind of. of uh, Except I do <laughs> like, I do appreciate. There's a certain uh, kind of ironic commentary here where the whole idea of the whole idea of a chorus line is that the people who are in the chorus line are as interesting as the stars. Uh-huh. And setting it on this, your idea of like, we could set it in like the director's office. and that would, I feel like the other thing we'd lose if we did that was here, the background dancers get to have the spotlight. Yes. And I think you need that. I think that's important. This mm-hmm. is them being center stage. And this is highlighting the experience because this is, a chorus line is very, very much a working class showbiz story. Mm. Not unlike something we saw in like the 1930s and stuff like Stage Door and 42nd Street, yeah. where it's about the people who, it's not just about the glamour. It's not just about, oh, it's so hard to be famous, like that movie Prom. Like, no, it's about the nuts and bolts. It's really, really hard. And you, there's lots of little asides throughout the story of people saying, seriously, how much longer is this audition? I have I have a shift at work. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I have to either call in or not. And these are legitimate concerns. The characters vary from people who are relatively new in the industry to, and most of them are veterans. Most of them have done this for a long time. Some of them have even worked with the director before. Mm. Um, they have, uh, uh, this is their, this is their career. And very few of them, if any, have any aspirations or are honest aspirations about getting back into the limelight. In fact, there's one character, Cassie, who was in the limelight mm. and had headlined major productions and had been out of the industry for a while. They went to Hollywood, didn't quite work out, they've come back, and now Chorus Line is the only thing they can get, and they're happy to get it. Mm. And the director That's... doesn't understand why they would even want that, which yeah, leads I, to a uh, bit of conflict. I was reminded of um, a scene in The Insider, the Michael Mann film. Interesting. Uh, where... Uh, the main character, the Russell Crowe character, yeah. uh, has he's blown the whistle on the tobacco industry, and he's yeah. sort of been ousted, and he's out in the world, and now he needs a job, and he uh, applies to be a high school teacher, yeah, but just like a high school science teacher, because you know he yeah. knows all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, he knows how to be a high school science uh, teacher. Yeah. So, um, and so I he in the uh, the the interview, the te- you know the principal saying you're overqualified for this. <laughs> You've already worked in industries. What are you doing here? He's like, really, this is all I have. Yeah. And so he hires him as a high school science teacher. Oh, my God. Well, that's nice. I have been I've been shut down for being overqualified. Like, I was, like, looking. I couldn't find a job. I couldn't find a job. I finally found a retail job where I was able to, like, get an interview. Uh-huh. And then someone's like, well, you graduated from college. You won't be here very long. And I'm like, no, I'll be here for a while because no one else is hiring. <laughs> I'll be here as like, long as you're paying me. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, this, I'm here because I need this job. Yeah. I'm not here... To annoy you, I'm not here to waste your time and mine. What do, what do you think? How do, how do you think I'm getting my kicks out of this? Like, no, I need a job. I need this job, and I'm and I'm also going to throw it out. I'm also going to throw this back in your face. It's retail. You're always going to have a lot of turnover. <laughs> yeah, people don't stay in. Well, people some, don't. Some people, people do, but people don't usually go career. I mean, people do, and that's fine. If you that's what you want to do, you want to manage a business. You want to whatever. That's totally. I'm not. Or if, you I'm, know, that just that's the the place you found yourself. That's fine. Yeah, that's but, fine. I'm not. I'm not. Object, I'm not insulting anyone doing retail. I've done retail myself. There is a nobility to that profession, but you have to understand that a lot of people do retail on their way to something else. Yeah. A lot of people are doing retail to pay to for college, make some you know, money and that's make some it, money yeah. to, to give themselves uh, uh, the, the freedom that they need, the financial freedom that they need to pursue other interests. A lot of people do it for that. And if you're not understanding of that, then I'm, you're really off base when it comes to hiring people for retail. Mm. You really can't do that. You have to understand that some people are going to be doing it for the summer and then leave. Like you can't, <laughs> not ever, if everyone was going for career in retail, everyone would be backstabbing each other constantly. For the next, <laughs> you don't want that. You just want people, some people to do the job. Um, I digress. So I really like this as a working class story. And I think for the most part that transfers over to the chorus line movie. The thing that that pisses me off the most about this movie, and I actually think this is mostly an okay production. I know a lot of people really hate this. Um for reasons where there's a there's a there's an interview Richard Attenborough did where he described this as a story about young people trying to get into the industry and apparently people who had worked on the show were like, no, it's about people who've been in the industry for years just trying to stay relevant and like trying to get one last job before they're out of it. Like it's totally the wrong mm. vibe. But the part of it that pissed me off, and I alluded to it earlier, 
as I had said before, Chorus Line as a as a musical uh, and on the stage has a lot of frank and open communication about queerness, and this was not mm. a common thing to talk about and, that uh, openly, even in the early eighties when this and, was coming out. And the amount of queerness we got in the film, uh-huh. it was still pretty revolutionary for mainstream feature films at the time, and and yet massively cut down from the production. Yeah, yeah. Like, hugely so. Like, there's a bit in the movie, and this is the part of the movie where I'm like, okay, I, 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 this isn't, I prefer the original production, but this is okay. This is the part of the movie where I'm starting to think to myself, okay, I think they might have fucked this up. There's a part in the film where a young actor is talking about um, his first, when, when he was young and realizing that he was gay and having his first mm. difficult experiences, many of them traumatic. And then the movie, this is only for the film, this is a brand new song, it interrupts him for a long <laughs> show-stopping, and I use that in air quotes because I don't think it's a good song, number about f- having heterosexual sex in a graveyard. It's called Surprise. Yeah. Um, not only uh, did you cut down on the amount of queer content for the film, uh, you shouted heterosexual stuff over it <laughs> with a not, yeah, with, I'm sorry, yeah. a not very good song. Surprise is not a great, it was nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars, which by the way, that is my least favorite genre of music. The new song that we added to a pre-existing musical so that we could get an Oscar nomination for Best Original Song. Has that ever been... The only, a, good, a good song like I was, when they add one for the I was movie. thinking about this. The only version of this I can think of that actually did have more than one good song, uh-huh. or at least one, uh, is Guys and Dolls. Which was the song they added? Adelaide. Because oh. Adelaide, Adelaide, ever oh. loving Adelaide is taking a chance on me. <laughs> that's a pretty good song, and it's mostly because uh. Sinatra's singing it. There's a couple bits, and that's the one example where I'm like, okay, you, you gave Frank Sinatra a good song. Fine, I, I I couldn't hum the new song from Les Mis if you put a gun to my head. Uh, yeah, I, I can never remember. I can't remember the new songs because yeah. they, they tend to like stand apart from the usual. Uh, They're not necessary musicals, to yeah. tell the story. They're usually um, tacked on because the story was told fine without that stuff. Yeah, I'm, like there was. I know they put a new. I can kind of recall that one from Cats. Oh, the, the of, Taylor Swift song? Yeah. Um, the, the Friendly Ghosts Oh, Beautiful song. Ghosts. Beautiful Ghosts. <laughs> beautiful Ghosts. Yeah. It's fine. What, what I, the problem is, when they add songs, they tend to be ballads yeah. for some reason. I, I don't know why they, the Motion Picture Academy prefers ballads over sort of more energetic, fun songs. It sounds more, it sounds more dramatic. It sticks I, with I it, guess, yeah. but yeah. they're always the dullest. That, like, I don't just pop one of those in my car while I'm driving. <laughs> Let it go. Let it go is a banger. Uh, I know. I know you're not a fan, but that's a good song. Come on, I'll let that. I'll, I'll let it go. Okay. Um, nah. When it comes to, I guess the the song the songs from Frozen, yeah, like stand apart. I think they're better than the movie. You can live with that. Uh, they're certain. I prefer the movie Tangled, but the songs in Tangled are kind of forgettable. Yeah, they're, the, I, one, the ones in Frozen you can at least hum. Yeah, you you, you combine uh, those two together, yeah. you give the song quality of Frozen hmm. Tangled, the actual movie and writing and plot. Yeah. You kind of got the perfect the, movie. Uh, yeah, the queerness in a, a chorus line, the movie, yeah. is uh, sort of like a footnote. It's something that's off to the side. It's mixed yeah. in with all of these other things. Yeah, it's a medley. Um, Queerness in musical theater is usually pretty upfront. Mm-hmm. It's uh, f- famously a form that has a lot of queer people involved in it, uh, and uh, it's celebrated a lot. That that element of openness and inclusivity has always been a big part of musical theater. My mom grew up in musical theater, and you know, so she got to sort of throw all the jargon around, mm. um, and uh, having it relegated to a feature film aside is a bit of an insult. Yeah. Now, I I appreciate the representation. I appreciate that it was put in there. Yeah. I appreciate that it's uh, in this big musical film that uh, Hollywood and the country over is, is presumably going to see, even though this film tanked. Um, but I, I hate that we've had to... Uh, see Hollywood baby step their way toward queerness over the course of fucking decades. Yeah. 
Um, Especially when an opportunity is literally handed to yeah. like you have a great excuse. It won a bullet, sir. Just do it straight. I mean, ironically, well, don't I, do it straight. No, don't do it straight. <laughs> Sorry, but just but just do, just do it adapt it in a straightforward uh, way. You got yeah. it. It's you. It's it's rubber stamped. You're fine. Yeah. The. Um, I, I was so pleased, and this is going to be such a weird example because yeah. it's a film that deals, it's it's very broad, and it deals in stereotypes a lot, but uh, Mike Nichols' version of The Birdcage, oh, yeah. which was an adaptation of La Caja Fall, yeah. uh, which was an adaptation of La Caja Fall, uh, <laughs> was one of the first examples I can think of mm-hmm. of like a mainstream studio Hollywood film mm-hmm. with queer characters as the main characters. Yep. Multiple queer characters as main characters, yeah. And how their queerness was just supposed to be accepted. Yeah. It like it's weird it's weird when the characters in the film do not. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. The, the the plot of that movie is um the the main couple, played by Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, mm-hmm. have a son who wants to marry a young woman, mm-hmm. but her parents are like these like ultra right wing conservative politicians. Yeah. And the plot of the movie is, hey, I want to marry this woman, but half of America is conservative. And the son makes a completely unreasonable request of his father's yeah. that you, I want you to pretend to be straight while we have dinner with these people. Mm-hmm. And the fathers, both of the fathers say no. Well, first, yeah. one father says no and doesn't tell the other. Yeah. And then when the other father comes, uh, you know, says, well, okay, I, I can, maybe I can pretend to be an uncle or something. We want We love our son. Mm-hmm. We'll do this thing, even though it's really, in, he asked us to do it and it's really yeah. insulting. And there, it's really, it's uh, real, and there's a lot of really thoughtful stuff about it. It talks about yeah. like, like, when I was a kid, you told me to tell kids at school that yeah. you were straight. And he's like, yeah, but you were a child. I didn't know what else to tell you at the yeah. time. We're adults now. We should be able to talk. It's, it's a, it's a pretty nuanced conversation Yeah, there's about, there's, about what is basically a farcical duplicity storyline. Yeah. You know, um, but it's, but there's a lot of tragedy to it. The fact that we have to do this lie yeah. hurts feelings from the get go. So and yeah, so I I think yeah, there's a lot of actually as these things go, nuance about queerness and something like the birdcage. Yeah, birdcage. Uh, my understanding holds up quite well. That movie came out in 1996. Mm-hmm. That was 11 years after a chorus line. That movie won the the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble. Remember that? Uh, that took, uh, everyone was great. Completely everyone's shocked. great in it. That's the, great. The yeah. Conservative politicians mm-hmm. played by Gene Hackman. He's hilarious in that yeah. movie. Uh, some Diane Weist is underappreciated. Uh, Diane Weist is really good. Um, yeah. And. Hank Azaria has some of the most sublime pratfalls you'll see in any yeah. movie. Just he's, his he's physical playing, comedy. He's playing a cliche, but he he's is, yeah, doing he's, it right well. He's playing a cliche. He's a, a you know, Italian actor playing a, a Latin character, but uh, yeah. uh, the physical comedy is at least funny. Yeah. Um, that we're going back to something like a chorus line, which comes straight from the stage and mm. has queer characters in it who want to sing about their queerness. Yeah. And they don't get enough of an opportunity. Is, and in the case is, of some yeah. cases, get it taken away from them when they had the yeah. opportunity. Now, that sucks. So th- this is as close as 1985 Hollywood was going to get to a lot of sexual frankness. So we at least had characters say, I am gay, on camera. And that's... And that's mm-hmm. and they talked about him, parents did not accept how, yeah, me. And, 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 how, and how revolutionary yeah. to hear those words and not have them be like farcical joke characters yeah. or like funny sissies or gay panic uh yeah punchlines they're not they're not they're uh, they're human beings and yeah. at least there's that yeah so bare minimum we could ask that for that, that, that bare minimum was considered yeah. pretty daring at the time uh, yeah. as was a lot of the sexual talk yeah. um there's a number and this is the fun number dance 10 looks three dance 10 looks three yeah which is about uh a woman sort of looking over her own body and talking about getting a boob job. Yeah, she was a brilliant dancer. She auditioned constantly, and even though she was clearly a better dancer than everyone around her, mm. she was never cast in a chorus line. And then finally, she was able to sneak away with like the card. Like, they write down a note about like here's what. There's a famous story uh, in in Hollywood where when Fred Astaire was initially auditioning for roles, mm. uh, where they had like a, they they would write down notes like for future reference if we remember this guy Fred Astaire, and the famous note was uh, can't sing, can't act. Dances a little, <laughs> which is one of the funniest things ever written about a human being, because uh, he could do all three brilliantly, uh, especially dance. Holy shit! Um, but uh, she gets her card, and it says dancing ten. She's a ten at dancing. Couldn't get better, but her looks were only a three. So she decided, in a, in a, and to her, this is very empowering, uh, to get her uh, to get a, a, a breast enhancement surgery. Mm. And to have her butt done as well. I forget what that's called. Um, and uh, just a, a well. And I th- didn't she also 
talk about like other surgeries. She, she might have had others, yeah. but it's at least those two. And she talked and she talked about tits and ass. As the the song is usually colloquially known as tits and ass, oh. and apparently it was originally called tits and ass until they realized that at the, at the beginning of the the play, when you're handed out like the 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 form, the whatever, playbill, yeah. the playbill, uh, hearing that there's a song called tits and ass, you're ready for it. But if it's called Dance Ten Looks Three, and then all of a sudden in the middle of it, the chorus is tits and ass, it was mm. funnier. Mm. Which, by the way, smart. <laughs> like that's a, that's a nice bit of that's a nice surprise, bit of surprise people. There, yeah. There's a there's a there's a three dimensional chess thing going here. We're doing our fourth mic, whatever. They're, yeah. they're doing good, but like, uh, but so she sings a song about how in this industry looks are a factor. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, but it is. And only when I came to terms with that and decided that I would commit to that did I start getting gigs. Mm-hmm. It's a shitty reality, but that was the reality of it, and it's kind of empowering, and it's kind of sad, and it's a really good song. It, it's it. I appreciate that there is, that there's that that song because yeah. a, a, it's really high energy. She's yeah. having a great time with it. It is actually very celebratory of mm-hmm. of who she is and her the decision she's made. Sure, but there's also that kind of dark undercurrent that the industry demanded this of her that yeah. she surgically alter her body to get a job. Yeah, this one person happens to mm. seem to be okay with it, but not everyone is. There's a really wonderful documentary film out there called Some Nudity Required. It's oh, yeah. actually um, really hated by my former boss, uh, Roger Corman, because it's about Roger Corman studios mm. and the actresses he hires to be in sexploitation movies, yeah. like action films where some nudity is required. And, there's a lot of discussion in that about the kinds of pressures that are put on the actresses. And some of them are talking about, well, you know, I, I understand what's involved. I know what kind of movie I'm making, but at the same time, you know what? I do have to look a certain way. If I'm going to be undressing a lot, do I get cosmetic surgery? Mm. Like that's a big pressure in, in that, uh, that particular industry. And it, it's not fun. It's not a, like a no, fun, zesty thing. It's, not, it's, that's not fun. It's no, sad. it's, it's like a, a lot of, uh, horrendous self-consciousness is being thrust upon you and you're constantly being told that you don't look quite perfect enough and that you have to go through these expensive and invasive surgeries to, uh, to look just, just to look a certain way, just so you can get a job in the chorus line in this case. Um, and I think that is present in dance 10 looks three. It's not just, you know, advocating what she did. She's proud with what she did. And she actually tells other characters, you know, well, if you don't like the way you look, do something about it. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. I'm, I'm living proof. There's definitely a positive uh, attitude to be had about so it. So yeah. I, I appreciate that she's positive about her body and that she's comfortable with the way she looks now because I know that's true for a lot of people. Uh, you know, they, they want their bodies altered and they feel much better after they do it. So I'm not going to decry cosmetic surgery as a practice. I'm going to decry an industry that makes people feel like they have to. Exactly. And I think both of those things are present in Dance 10 Looks Through. It's, it's, a, it's a surprisingly um, complicated and nuanced yeah. song. Usually people mm. think of it as a joke song, but there's a lot going on there. It uh, plays gangbusters at karaoke, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my uh, my my uh, my sister's uh, audition piece. Oh, constantly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was, once she found out that song existed, I'm like, I will sing that at any opportunity. That's a great song. You Except mean, when you we were in, to stand in front of adults and well, sing we, the Well, we were in high school, so we weren't allowed to do that. But she came up with very cleverly with the with the alteration, Wits and Class. <laughs> we don't say the naughty words. We're just sort of dancing around it, literally. And you know what? It's still played like gangbusters. It works. It works very funny. It's still a funny. It, it functions just fine. Wits and clouds. Yeah. Well, because we're kind of making fun of the fact that you know this shouldn't be necessary. Oh, what did what did they say? Um, instead of transsexual, when they did Rocky Horror on Glee, they changed oh, the word God. transsexual. I don't recall. I, I, that, I think that was where the point where I completely gave up on Glee. I think the, the joke was they're putting it on for a high school. So it was the high school administrators who were censoring it, not yeah. Fox, the broadcasters of Glee, but it was, but it kind of was like they yeah. worked an organic way no, to work I, in censorship. And the plot that dictated that they were doing it made no sense. It did suck, but yeah, they, they yeah. changed the, in, in the, the song, sweet transvestite, they weren't yeah. allowed to say the word transsexual. Yeah. So they changed it to something with a similar meter, but I, I forgot what it was. I don't recall. I don't want to, I don't want to think about it anymore. Um, um, but yeah, uh, so all of, there's all of these great nuanced moments with yeah. the chorus line characters. Yeah. And and I like and I like the setup. I think this is actually really nice. Just go by yeah. character by character, and we get to have a little bit of a raw acting moment. Yeah, and it's also a wonderful opportunity for people who are rising in the industry mm-hmm. uh, to actually kind of tell their stories. Yeah, I I don't know the history of the production, but mm. uh, this seems like it would be 
an organic way to have actual actors tell their real stories. Well, apparently this started off with like various workshops and that's mm. how they kind of developed it kind of gradually. Um, so yeah, the, the, it kind of started that way is my mm. understanding. And then of course they eventually solidified it and turned yeah, it, it into it, a real it, script. Um, it, which, you know, of course it won every Tony, but, uh, yeah. It seems to me like that should be a constantly running off Broadway thing yeah. where it's just different people every time. Well, what and they... eventually they work through every single dancer who's working <laughs> as a as a waiter that in That would be New really York. really cool. The problem I was reading about it, I didn't know about this, but this is this is something I always thought of which is um I always thought it'd be kind of interesting when I was young to do a chorus line, but the ending was like clue and they they picked different people every night. Cuz at oh, the okay. end they only picked like eight people from the from the 17 or whatever mm. that we have. Um and uh, the, the, the people who get the part in Broadway and in the film, it's the same every time. Obviously, it's the same for the film. Um, but apparently, one of the original ideas that they had was that the people who get the part would change every night. Oh, like, yeah. And it would be decided on the fly by like mm. the director or the producers or whatever like that. Oh, it would be, like be, a, yeah. be like a punishment poll in a William Castle movie. <laughs> like People get to hold up a big thumb up or a thumb down. Could have been fun. But mm. uh, apparently the reason why they decided not to do that was uh, because after that number, the people who are selected do another song. They do mm. one singular sensation. Uh, I mean, they, and it, you can understudy those parts. I Everybody know, can study that. I no, that's not the issue that they yeah. don't know the song. They, they have to practice the song anyway. Mm. The problem is the costume change. You have to be ready <laughs> on the fly with the right character's costume change, and there's a ton of different characters, mm. and it could potentially hold up the production. So they oh. could, for for practical reasons, that was not, not something every, they could really everybody's do. Everybody's costume at the ready, just in case. Yeah. All right, got it. So they ended up deciding, but I still think it would be a very, very fun mm. thing to do, uh, sort of switch it up, because you get yeah. that genuine reaction every night, oh. where people are like, oh, it is, it's me tonight! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get to perform one singular sensation, that's fun. Or like, somebody's been looked at, like they've never been voted on, it's like, oh, yeah. oh shit. Like, you just get to see them sit back. <laughs> Um, so all of the stuff with the dancers, I think, is pretty good. Yeah, in, in this movie version, of course. they cut so, down more than um, they should have, but yeah, the actual mm-hmm. stuff we get is pretty good. Uh, Surprise sucks, but whatever. The um, the B plot of a chorus line kind of sucks. Yes, it does. And it's because we have uh, Michael Douglas uh, playing that really rough mm. director. And this is Michael Douglas. Again, this is Michael Douglas in the mid. I know some people might only know him from Ant Man and shit now, but like <laughs> in the eighties and the, and in the seventies and the early eighties, Michael Douglas was more of a of a dashing leading man. Mm. You might remember him from stuff like uh, Romancing the Stone or Which China I think Syndrome. The same year. Wasn't Romancing the Stone also eighty five? Around the same yeah. time, but this is the time when he was starting to settle into something a bit more of a malevolent presence, or yeah, someone who was in so darker the, motion pictures like two, Wall Street. Yeah, two years later would be Wall Street. He was doing, he was um, doing Wall Street. He was doing Fatal Attraction, and this kind of vibe that michael douglas had in the 80s was a lot more predatory yeah it's, he it's, really every so time we he's, cut to him it looks like he's deciding who he's gonna devour at the end of the night like i'm gonna which, kill you and eat you that 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 sort of uh, streak of evil if you will yeah. i think fits kind of well because you know that's a high pressure environment and you want to please the director and if the director's sort of warm or inviting in any kind of way oh, that yeah. takes a lot of the edge off well of you that. know what? the director uh, was always sort of enigmatic and mm-hmm. um their motives were kind of questionable, but I never it, the reveal that the pre, that the director actually has some ill will towards something. There's this big bit, the whole big subplot with the director, and it's a pretty minor thing in the play, but it's a huge deal in the movie. They decided to make it the whole through line. Uh, is that the character of Cassie, who used to be a big star, she used to be in a relationship with the director, and now that she's coming back, he's mad at her for auditioning for the chorus line when in his eyes she's too good for that. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bit where he takes her aside and he she has her whole bit and number. And all the other uh, uh, auditionees are doing one singular sensation in the background. And he just yells at her, is this what you want? To be one of these pathetic assholes? And I'm like, hey, they're right here. Holy shit, dude. But that, that's when I saw this, started seeing this as kind of a horror movie. Like mm. the idea that this is like the director who is auditioning these people to get a good gig, plum gig, looks down on them. And it's just this big reveal. Mm. And it was really dark. But when Michael Douglas is there the whole time and you keep seeing him leering and like lighting a cigarette in the darkness and stuff like that, it kind of just leads into it a little too quick for me. And it's I'm like kind a, of like ahead of the game in terms of like how. Oh, here's the here's yeah. the twist. It turns out he he's uh, he works for the hostile movie company. Oh god, <laughs> it's like choosing actors to torture Jesus. to death. I mean, it's if, that's the vibe I get. Yeah, from him, it, it does have that horror movie vibe. But uh, like the whole the, thing with like uh, overemphasizing him and Cassie. 
Cassie as like Cassie's here, and oh god, will she audition? They add way too much to well, that because it's not just here. Here's all these assholes. Do you want to do this? I respect you too much as as an artist. They had a romance, yeah, and they had. You know, we don't really learn the details, but they had some sort of falling out, and now she has no place to stay. Um, uh, uh, Critter's dude, I forgot his name already. Terrence Mann. Terrence Mann uh, <laughs> offers him like a room in the th- offers her a room in the theater. To be fair, so he was can... also in Critter's one. He was in Critter's one through four, actually. <laughs> okay. He was in all of them. Uh, I've seen all of the Critter's movies. Yeah, was he in four? Yeah, he played two four. roles in four because he played Ugg and he played like the the Grand High Leader of of. Oh, I guess he was in four, wasn't he? Okay, yeah. I think he's only at the beginning of four, but yeah, he's anyway. in four of them. Uh, I don't think he's in um, that. No. Uh, Shutter TV series. I'll, you know what? I'll look it up. Okay. <laughs> this is more important than anything else we're talking about. Well, just the the idea that Cassie is a struggling actress. Okay, fine. I'm, I'm okay that one of the members of the chorus line like has a little bit more of a past with the director. Mm-hmm. That should come out gradually. Yeah. Like, she's just in the chorus line and he like throws in a drop, like drops in a line here. He's like, and um, are you going to screw up like you did when we did that one production 10 years ago? Like, they've actually worked together before. He is in all four Critters films. But yeah, let's see. I said so. I'm just, I'm just saying, that is official. I'm just saying, if there's, any, if there's any confusion, if anyone accidentally believed me, never believed me. Uh, Whitney is right. I, He's I in all it, the Critters movies. I got it He's wrong. not in the new stuff. I got stuff wrong all the time. It's all right. Uh, all right. I'm not, I'm not going to gloat, because I knew that Kevin Dunn was in all of the Critters movies. Uh, I just want to... Kevin Dunn, sh- just Terrence Mann. No, Terrence Mann. Yeah. Kevin Dunn's a different actor. He's Terrence also in all the Critters movies. Uh, but... Uh, the the idea that Cassie and the director <laughs> had this big romance and that their unresolved romance becomes the crux of the movie uh, kills it. It's not about that because we're taking a, so much attention and time away from the actual chorus line. It's about those people, and yeah, it's Cassie's about getting one the of them, supporting you, characters their yeah. spot in the, to- the their time in the spotlight. Yeah, and we're making them supporting characters again. And we're, it's all about like the director and whether. No, I don't care. Yeah, so I don't care about that. It's, like a, it's, she's 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 dominating way too much of the movie. It shouldn't be about just one of them. If you wanted, all be equal. If you wanted to make this like a three-hour musical epic, and we yeah. got to see uh, all of the chorus line characters, like with little bits of their lives outside of the theater, I think that sounds like it needs to be think, edited down. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say. That, <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. You know idea, what? Never but... mind. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, at the very least, it would be egalitarian. But no, yeah. I don't think it's a good idea. I, I like that they did. You know, the way visually they fleshed out the story and the romance between these two. Yeah. Just in terms of in a vacuum, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. In, in a vacuum, yeah. you know, the, the kinds of you know. Cuts, Sweeping the camera into yeah. these sort of dream spaces and you know, yeah. using that to uh, emphasize where the character is in her life. I think it you know, does rich, enrich the Kathy character, not the director. Yeah. Uh, I think Kathy's a, a, a lot more... Cassie, excuse me. Uh, Cassie yeah. is a lot more interesting. But yeah, it just it stops the film dead and it distracts from the chorus line. The punchline of the chorus line mm-hmm. is one singular sensation. Yeah. Or, or it's just called one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Metallica did a cover of it. And, uh, did they? No, and Metallica just did a song called One that's based on Johnny Got His Gun. It's, okay. about, it's about the horrors of war. All right, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be saying, what? That'd be, you wouldn't want to hear that? Darkness imprisoning me. Oh, singular <laughs> I, would, I would totally pay She that. cannot take her breath. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's Metallica. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think the, the gag is that one is a really sucky song. Yeah, it's not an interesting it's, production. It's not an interesting... Like, it's a they're, boring they're musical. Work, this is not a good really, movie. Yeah. And they're talking about how they're looking for something to have, like, a classic 30s vibe. They're looking yeah. for, like, a Cole Porter-type musical. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, if, if you're familiar Fine. with musical history, was the 30s were a time when musicals were a lot more review-centric, mm-hmm. uh, where the, the songs weren't intertwined with the stories or the characters so much. Yeah, that really wasn't commonplace until, like, the 50s. Yeah, I, yeah. I think um, Oklahoma is often cited as, like, kind of the one that, fir- that first really did that organically. There are antecedents, but Oklahoma yeah. kind of broke it out. Yeah, yeah. I, it, was, it was, like, the big, first big hit, anyway. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, this idea that these chorus line uh, actors and the director are all trying to delve deep into their souls. Mm-hmm. And lay themselves raw and put their real selves out on the stage for this piece of shit musical. Yeah. Yeah. Where they just dress in gold top hats and kick in a kick line and sing about somebody else. Yeah. It's a catchy song. It has to be. It's mm-hmm. the it's the it's the end of the movie, but or the end of the play, mm-hmm. and it's kind of built all around it. We hear like bits of it, like sort of building up to this finally yeah. big reveal of the song. But yeah, you're right. 
it's a joke. <laughs> it's a it's, gag. It's at least ironic. It's supposed like, it's, to be kind of sad, and that, yeah. like uh, in that almost Sondheim sort of way. Yeah. Like if you ever seen the the musical Follies, yeah. just about how they use these sort of. 1930s musical reviews to sing about you know how miserable they are and they want to get divorced. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's about how how much so much work and effort and energy goes into getting a part where a you're lost in a sea of people, uh-huh. you're all wearing the same costume, you're all doing the same steps. That takes a mm-hmm. lot of time, energy, effort, and talent, and you're you're a footnote. You're off to the side. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like a uh, um and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. About a, about a chorus line, the movie I did like. Yeah, I don't want to see Cassie and the director having a romance. Uh huh. Cut it all out. Every, every bit of it. G- keep some of the Cassie stuff in. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's more she, important yeah. part of the story, the, the, but like you don't the need the, you don't need the extra fine. stuff. Yeah, the, you don't the, need the extra stuff at all. Yeah, at all. It's done. It's dead. If it was, they the, have a whole scene together. We it comes across. We're good. If it was just Cassie's movie, that would be fine. Yeah. But it's not. It's about the whole chorus line. I would love to see someone do like, and this is way too much effort for movies that people do not care enough about. I would love to see a supercut of Richard Attenborough's a chorus line and Sylvester Stallone staying alive. Oh, which is also about an audition. Isn't yeah, it? I, mean, just, I haven't seen, seen a staying. Oh, alive. Oh, staying alive is underrated. I feel uh, right. staying alive is uh, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Um, a came out know, like seven years later, and Sylvester Stallone directed it. Uh, and Sylvester Stallone made it into a st- basically kind of a parallel to his own uh, attempt to break into the film industry, mm. where uh, John Travolta's character has decided he's a, he's a talented dancer, he's in New York, where's the work for dancers in New York? Chorus lines. Mm. So he has decided to pursue that as a career, and it's all about him trying to get cast in this really fucking weird production called Satan's Alley, which the last <laughs> act of, of staying alive is just this production of oh. Satan's Alley. It, it's fun. It's absurd, but it's kind of amazing. Um, staying alive gets a lot of crap today. It's like, it's considered one of the worst uh, sequels ever. First off, just for the record, it was a monster success. Like it made a ton of money. Oh. So don't let them say it was a huge bomb. Bad. Fine. We can make, have that argument. It made money. It has it a bad reputation, but it, it was has a reputation, but it was very, very popular at the time. Uh, but looking back at it now, yeah, some of the '80s shit has aged, as almost any '80s movie has. Any movie from any older, older decade mm-hmm. has something where you go like, "Well, we don't subscribe to that philosophy today." That kind of shit. There's a real genuineness to that film about just trying to get your shit together and make it in the industry you wanted to. Mm. There's a real genuineness in that movie, and I, I actually like that movie. It's No Saturday Night Fever. But it's quite good. And I feel like it'd be a good double feature with this where you can see, like, I, I see what you're getting at and you're just not quite nailing it. And it's a shame because the chorus line, again, I think the chorus line is a really, really great musical. I think the movie is, again, it's fine, but you can see how this was almost great. And really the only thing that they needed to do was just do the play. Apparently there was one, there were multiple attempts to turn this into a movie. And the one of the ones that they rejected, and I think it might have been from the original um, playwright, was instead of doing an adaptation of a chorus line, where it's all about people like on stage auditioning to be part of this private production, it would be about people auditioning to be in the chorus line movie. Oh, there you, that's brilliant. That would have been great. Apparently that well, was can, too much. You that can was turn, too, it, that turn was, it into an actual movie. Yeah, that was too high concept for that. That's a brilliant pitch. And it would totally work fine. Uh-huh. You could you have you can keep all the musical numbers. You can keep them all in there, and you can change it up just enough. You have an excuse to make it cinematic. You have an excuse to get a, it's, you're playing a little meta about it, but that's fine. Like that's a brilliant pitch, and I really wish we could have seen that. Yeah, uh, that's a great idea. If they ever do chorus line again as a movie, I doubt it. But if they ever did, <laughs> that's the pitch to go with. That's a brilliant pitch. Uh, yeah, you, they could do that. Um, yeah. A Chorus Line is one of those films that has... It's not talked about a lot. No. Talked about a lot today. It's, it's um, usually considered a dud. I mean, it didn't uh, make money. Fans of the play aren't fans of the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it, it was a bit of a bomb, but it got some awards attention. Yeah. Um, it's not talked a lot about a lot today because a lot of the films we talk about from the 80s are the films that people saw in the 80s when they were kids. Yeah. And a lot of the films that uh, came out in the 1980s for grown-ups aren't a bigger part of the, the conversation for some reason. Yeah. 
Uh, the 80s were a very interesting time in cinema. There was a lot of uh, experimentation going on in sort of mainstream Hollywood in interesting ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of your backs to the futures and yeah. and ghosts busted. Mm-hmm. Your Ninja 3, uh, the dominations. Uh, yeah, th- th- those kinds of genre films. I mean, there's not a lot of talk about stuff like Fitzcarraldo mm. or The Mission. Uh, or, Room with a View. Yeah, a, a lot of these sorts of movies that were yeah. made for, you know, Adults. It, it, adults, yeah. The, uh, Exclusively um, adults. What was that? Terms of Endearment was the yeah. one that was on the tip of my brain. There you go. Brilliant movie. I think A Chorus Line is part of this uh, mm. you know, in, yeah. inter- interesting Hollywood, I don't want to call it experimentation because it wasn't like boldly aesthetically different, but mm. you know, a lot of more interesting mature ideas were going into mainstream films that are, typically aren't talked about because we're yeah. too focused on the, the blockbuster entertainment. Well, I agree with that. And I think it's an interesting experiment. I think that I prefer the original uh, production and I highly recommend you ever get a chance, see Chorus Line on stage. If you can't, this is an interesting movie, and hopefully we've given you something to think about. That is it for Critically Reclaimed. Uh, we'll be back next time, and we had a request, if you've heard our more recent uh, We've Got Mail, uh, to focus a bit more on international cinema for kind of just a complete accident. We haven't really done a lot of international cinema on Critically Reclaimed. So next time, we're going to head on over to HBO Max, which has a pretty respectable international cinema selection. And we're going to look at uh, some films that are not in the English language uh, and your options over at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Your options include, uh, what we got here? We've got uh, Elevator to the Gallows, a Louis Maul film about a guy who kills his mistress's husband and bad, even worse things happen afterwards. Holy shit. Uh, with a score by Miles Davis, which is kind of interesting. Uh, we've got Juliet of the Spirits, which is about a woman named Juliet. Who is of the spirits? It's a Fellini film. It's a Fellini film. <laughs> and it's got ghosts, I guess. Uh, next up, we have Pepe Lamoco, mm. which I believe. No, I have no joke for that. <laughs> what is Pepe Lamoco? It's a night. It's a Jean Gabin, right? Nineteen nineteen thirties. It's a it's a French movie from nineteen thirty seven. Uh-huh. Um, uh, let me look up the director. Julien Duvivier is uh-huh. the director, and um, and it's, it looks like yeah, another hard boiled uh, noir type yeah, thing. It's, it's uh, yeah. like a. In exotic locales. Cool. And then uh, lastly, we've got uh, Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, uh, starring Antonio Banderas as a guy who kidnaps a porn star and uh, tries to get her to marry him, but it's... Um, in tying her up and tying yeah, her down. It's, uh, and, but it's Pedro Almodovar, so it's funny. Uh, and not, and not, uh, well, it might, it might also be horrifying, but I think it's supposed to be funny. We will find out if that, if that wins the poll. So head on over to patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Even a $1 a month uh, uh, subscription gets you that poll. We also have a lot of exclusive content over there at the Patreon page. We got podcasts dedicated uh, to Batman, uh, Star Trek, the Academy Awards, every film ever nominated for Best Picture. We do commentary tracks. We do hangouts. A lot of stuff going on over there. Thank you to every single one of our patrons for voting. Thank you to everyone uh, for keeping the show uh, alive. We couldn't do this without you. Um... If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. We might read your email on an upcoming episode of our podcast, We've Got Mail, right here at the main feed. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Uh, you can send us an actual physical letter. Send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. And, of course, we're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And, hey, did you know Valentine's Day is coming up? Well, I hope you did. Because uh, over at our Salt Cat Soap Store, we have a lot of wonderful gift options for Valentine's Day. We have a chocolate truffle gift set filled with uh, heart-shaped soaps that smell amazingly, like various uh, uh, combinations of chocolate. Uh, we have got a floral heart gift set, which smells like delicious, uh, well, delicious, aromatic, wonderful flowers. Uh, and we have a lot of other stuff besides, uh, and they're all available. And it's not too late, assuming you're not listening to this like weeks from now. Uh, to get these in time for Valentine's Day. So head on over to our social media pages, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Salt Cat Soap, uh, or just look on Etsy, Salt Cat Soap, all one word for the for the link. And um, yeah, you can do that. Thank you. That would be great. You're awesome. You, you're, you're really cool. Anyway, that's it for, <laughs> for Critically Reclaimed. Uh, I am nothing if not a subtle uh, uh, Salesman. salesperson. Okay, bye.